leading multi-platform storytelling. Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us. It's uh, interesting hearing uh, everyone talk about their process uh, as they're trying to explore their ideas and, you know, honing in on a particular theme and then exploring out again and kind of losing your way and then coming back again. I'm going to talk a, a fair bit about that today as well as the franchises and, uh, and other bigger properties that we work with at Hoodlum. Um, just to try and give you a sense of how we approach this new area and, uh, and shape it to you know, tell stories uh, in, in new ways. So just to give you a, a bit of an idea of what we've done, you've, you've seen this stuff before, I, I, I think probably in the programs and that, but we've worked with, uh, we've probably made our name in the last, uh, really made a name for ourselves in the last six years or so uh, doing TV extensions. So working with uh, properties like Lost and Spooks and Primeval and Flash Forward. Uh, UK and uh, and US properties where we expanded their stories online and uh, and generate a lot of uh, fan buzz around that and kept the the the, uh, the properties alive in between seasons. Uh, we've also started doing film extensions, which is really great fun. Uh, we've worked on the Angelina Jolie film Salt and uh, most recently the Bourne Legacy, which is a real thrill. Uh, we also have, we've, in the last probably, probably the last two years, we've started to expand into doing our own original IP. Uh, so uh, Slide was a ten-part uh, teen drama series for Fox 8 here in Australia. It's just been nominated for a, uh, an Emmy uh, in the, the children's area, which is very exciting. We'll hear about that in December, I think. Uh, the Strange Calls, which is a six-part comedy series for the ABC, and that's just been sold into the US to be reformatted over there. And I, I wrote a couple of the episodes, and uh, apparently the, in the US it's going to be written by a, a couple of Simpsons writers, so they're going to be way funnier than I was, which is, I'm very jealous, but very happy. And also uh, Fat Cow Motel, that's actually from probably about 10 years ago, and it was, a, it was a bit of an anomaly when it came out. It was probably one of the first multi-platform TV shows ever. Uh, and uh, no one knew what to make of it when it came out. It was just like, what the fuck is that? And uh, the ABC were very supportive and they, they showed it. And, uh, but I think it left a lot of people scratching their heads. But in a funny way, we're still uh, mining the territory that we, we stumbled across with that Cal Motel. So. Um, OK, so today I'm, I'm going to cover a few areas. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Hoodlum's approach to art and story and technology and how we think about it. Uh, then I'm going to talk a little bit about how we develop our ideas. And then I'm going to look at two examples, uh, Salt and uh, The Bourne Legacy, which, you know, they're both films. They'll be relevant to you guys in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you go about uh, doing these sorts of campaigns, uh, what can be done with the fans, uh, what sort of content can you execute. Uh, and then I'm going to kind of, I'm not sure what I'm going to say in this last bit because I, I'm going to be comparing Salt and Bourne and the, the comparison of the two has kind of got me thinking about, you know, where this stuff goes and what works and what doesn't and, you know, what might work in future. And I don't have any solid answers uh, and, you know, we might be able to turn it into a bit of a discussion at the end. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just new ideas and, and new methods of doing those. I just got an email. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. 
So uh, let's talk a little bit about how we approach art and technology. Um, so my, um, I'm a writer. I come from a writing background. And my wife is a writer too. And uh, she still writes her novels with a pen and paper. She's a complete Luddite. And, and uh, you know, a lot of writers still do that. There you go. And, uh, and, you know, there's a kind of, and I, you know, I understand it too, there is a, a resistance in the writing community, I think, uh, Matt's probably an exception, I think, to taking on new technologies. We're kind of suspicious of it. It's like, yeah, but this pen and paper thing works really well, you know, we can imagine worlds with this and why change it? But uh, the way we approach it at Hoodlum uh, is that uh, a lot of the, the great advances in storytelling happen because of technology. When a new technology comes along, artists play with it and they, they experiment with it and they innovate and new forms emerge out of that. And so it's, you know, there's a lot of new technologies emerging now. It's really easy to get overwhelmed and go, oh my God, I just can't handle another platform or app coming out. Please just go away and leave me alone. When actually there are great opportunities to keep an eye out for, like not all of them are going to work and that you kind of have to filter stuff, but some of them, will totally change the way we tell stories or make art. And I'll, I'll just give you a, a couple of simple examples. Um, 78 records, when they first came out, it's like 1915, 1920, something like that. I don't know the exact date. But on a 78 record, you could only record three minutes of music. That's all you could fit onto it. Technically, it was not possible to fit anything more on it. And so musicians had to learn to write shorter songs. They had to fit into a three-minute time frame. And guess what we got out of that? the three-minute pop song. And even though we can record songs as long as we like now, the three-minute pop song format is still with us because it works. It's a format that the audience has embraced. They love it. Uh, and we live with it now, even when you can record you know, any way you like. So, and that came out of that limitation from that, that technology. Uh, portable transistor radios. When they came along, uh, teenagers, for the very first time, uh, could listen to music by themselves. They didn't have to gather around in the living room with their family and listen to what the family was listening to on the great big wooden cabinet in the corner of the room. They could go away and they could go into their room and they could just listen to it themselves. And that gave birth to rock and roll. A whole bunch of radio stations popped up to supply that that. A generation of young people with transistor radios with their own music. And, you know, it was actually one of the technological innovations which allowed rock and roll to spread so quickly. So that's very powerful. Uh, movie cameras. Uh, the first 20 or so years uh, when movie cameras came out, the people that had them in their hands were actually engineers and scientists, not artists. It took about 20 years for artists to click and go, hey, we can tell stories with these things. We can tell stories in ways that people never imagined. And they started splicing images together to make a story, to create drama. Uh, and it took them about 20 years to figure out how to do that. It wasn't obvious at the time. So all of those, all of those changes were inspired by a new piece of technology. And, you know, I love that sort of thing. I, you know, every new thing that comes out, I go, I wonder if this is going to be the one. <laughs> You know, is this going to be the one that we all, it's going to, we're going to see something completely new that we've never seen before? So that's kind of how we approach things at Hoodlum. Uh, we keep an eye out for game changers, really. 
And later on, I, I'm going to talk about what are the game changes that I think um, that has come along in the last probably three years. Um, okay, so how does how does story change with some of the new technologies that have come along in the last ten years or so? The internet, mobile phones, those sorts of things. Uh, well. These are the four areas that I think it, what it does to story that is probably new. Not all of it's completely new, but it's, it's, it's uh, been amplified, I think, in, with these new technologies. Stories become interactive. You can actually play a part in them. Uh, they become personalised, so parts of your life can be injected into the story in a very simple way, like uh, Facebook Connect. If you uh, play a game through Facebook Connect, parts of your life can be injected into the story and into the game. Uh, it can be social, so you can share the story with your friends very easily, but you can also create the story with your friends, even if you're not in the same place. And obviously, story becomes mobile, so it doesn't have to happen all in the same place. Um, but what this does is it, it only changes how you tell the story. It doesn't change what a story is. Story is still about a character, you know, enduring obstacles, trying to overcome, you know, uh, personal problems or, you know, external threats. All of those things are still relevant. It's just the form that you're telling it in that's, that's adapting to the technology. So, uh, so what do audiences do with this, these new qualities in storytelling? Well, we kind of break it down like this at Hoodlum. Uh, what they do basically is they watch the story, you know, a YouTube video, you're watching the story, and that's, you know, a fairly traditional passive form of consuming a, a, a story. You can play the story, of course. You can, if it's a game or some sort of interactivity, you can share the story or you can create the story. Now, I've, I've, I've debated whether or not to show this next slide, but uh, I'm going to. Uh, and maybe it'll maybe it's we, something we can discuss later. I'll show you the b basic proportions. These are estimates as to how much people watch, play, share, and create online. From our perspective, it's kind of like that. <laughs> Mostly, people want to watch, and they want to have the story told to them. However, there is an opportunity where people, you know, people do share a, a, a story well told quite a lot. Obviously, through Facebook, Twitter, etc. They also want to interact, but it's a little bit less than sharing. And creating, it's kind of pretty small. There's an incredibly small group of people that want to create, but they're a very powerful group of people. And if they are advocates of your story, you can harness those people uh, in, a, in, a, in a very, very powerful way. But it's important to remember that they're small, <laughs> yeah? So. Um, those are estimated proportions, by the way. There's no, there's no science behind that. Um, okay. Um, I'll move on to now, now to just talk a little bit about the way we work when we're developing a new, uh, new project. And uh, there's this idea of, of open and closed thinking. Has anyone ever heard of that before? Yeah? Okay. If you, if you want to hear more about it, there's a terrific half-hour uh, talk by John Cleese on creativity. Just Google John Cleese on creativity. Uh, that's the only funny picture you'll see in my presentation today. I was tempted to put more in, but... Uh, and he does a terrific discussion about open and closed thinking. And the way it works is open thinking is about saying anything's possible. 
anything at all. Let's just do it. Let's, you know, what can we imagine? Uh, so this is, you know, that sort of approach to thinking is really great for generating new ideas. Fantastic. It's, a, it's the only way you're going to generate new ideas, is to open your mind to anything that's possible. Closed thinking is where it kind of says only this is possible. And it's fantastic for making decisions. And when it comes down to it, both are absolutely essential to you in your creative process. There are times when you'll need to open up and, and consider other options, and I'm, you know, that's exactly what I'm hearing from people giving their feedback each day, is you know, they, at times they're getting stuck and it's like, holy crap, what are we going to do? And so it's about changing their mode of thinking, opening it up. Other times, you know, and this will happen towards the end of the week, you'll need to start closing off your thinking so that you can make decisions. And uh, both are equally important. So I'm going to break down a little bit of what... The, these are the sort of um, the things we think about when we're developing a new project. And uh, these things influence whether or not we're in an open mode of thinking or a closed mode of thinking, basically. So story, obviously. Um, what's the content? Like, what's the form of that story going to be? What platforms are we going to tell that story on? Who's the client for this project? And who's the audience for this project? And basically, we work through those things and ask ourselves a series of questions about them. And depending on which one we're talking about, it'll influence whether we're in an open or closed state of thinking. So I'll go through each one and, uh, and let you know the questions we ask ourselves. And this is not an exhaustive list. There's other, other questions, but this is a pretty good idea. So you know, when we're talking about story, what is the story? What actually happens? You know, this happens and this happens and this happens. What's the story world? Is there a mythology behind it? Is it in a particular genre? Uh, does it have a, a, an extensive history that we can dive into? Uh, what are its themes? What are the characters? Uh, what are the POVs that we could use? It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question when it comes to interactive and online storytelling is figuring out what's the POV of our story. Uh, is, you know, is it going to be from this character's perspective or is it going to be from this character's perspective or is the player themselves going to actually step into the game? Uh, what could be extended in this story? Uh, what, could, what could spin off? What could be a, a totally parallel story which you know, doesn't actually uh, uh, intersect with the, the, uh, the main storyline but is in the same story world in a sense, so it's like a spin off? Like, uh, what were we talking about this morning, Michael? Caprica uh, is the spin-off of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Uh, and what's the role of the audience in this story? We're always looking for a way to uh, make this a personal experience, to allow people to step into the story in some way. OK, content. So what form is the story going to take? Is it going to be a series of webisodes? Is it going to be immersive environments or graphic novels or a series of games? Um, what's new? Uh, what's been done before? What hasn't been done before? Uh, what's inspired us? Uh, we do a lot of trawling uh, for things that, you know, every week, we've, we've actually got a Tumblr at um, Hoodlum where each week everyone just puts up stuff that they've come across that they thought, that is so cool. And 
it's not related to any project. It's just like this scrapbook that we all put links up and each, yeah, I've, I've, a lot of the employees, like we sit there at lunchtime and we actually just read our own Tumblr because we're just interested in what other people are looking at and what they're, what they're doing and what they think is cool. And uh, what's great is, you know, when we come into development sessions, we sometimes just open up the Tumblr and we just start scrolling through that thing, going, oh, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. And sometimes they don't even relate to the project, but they get us thinking. And they get us into a state where we're kind of think, creating benchmarks for ourselves. We want to make something that's that cool. You know what I mean? And I, I, you guys do that with films all the time. You know, you look at films and go, that's the benchmark. We want to make a film as good as that. It might not be the same film, but that's our benchmark. Uh, also, we ask ourselves the question, you know, what feels right? What feels authentic to this uh, story that we're telling, this property? And that's, a, that's an okay question to ask. If it doesn't feel right, there's probably a reason. Um, so the platforms, uh, where would this story work? What platforms really suit it? You know, it might be Facebook, it might be Twitter, it might be a series of games, it might be uh, a mobile app, it might be a real-world uh, experience, it might be a billboard, you know. Uh, there was, Brian gave some terrific examples of uh, the Trueblood execution where, you know, the ads and the billboards and uh, the magazine ads really captured that story well beautifully. Um, What's never been done before? What's fun? It's really important to keep asking, you know, is this still fun? <laughs> you know, don't lose sight of the fun. Uh, when, once again, what's inspired us? Uh, what's buzzworthy? Um, a lot of times with these sorts of campaigns, it's uh, a, a strategy, and it's a totally legitimate strategy, is to do something that's never been done before that's going to create buzz amongst, uh, amongst the media, tech media or just general media. Uh, because that gets your project seen by people and it can spread out from there. So, you know, what can you do that's going to be newsworthy? Uh, once again, and what feels right uh, and what's authentic? So, did you have a question for me? Oh, no, you were scratching your head, sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, what feels right is, is a, you know, don't lose sight of that. You've got to go with what you think is authentic for your whatever you're making. Uh, the client. Okay, what are the client's aims? Uh, what else have they done? What's success for them? Sometimes they'll give you KPIs, um, other times they won't. And it's weird, like at Hoodlum, we hardly ever get KPIs. They, they kind of just go, can you just do something cool? And Which is great, because, you know, KPIs are KPIs. <laughs> um, you've got to hit them. Uh, what is success for them? Uh, what are the cast, crew, and production assets that we can get our hands on? So is the, um, is, is the director available to participate in this? Uh, can the writer be involved in helping put this together? Because that lends authenticity to the entire experience if we can say, well, you know, the creator of this thing helped make it. Uh, are there photographs? Are there uh, outtakes? Uh, is there video available? Uh, are there cast members that we can actually incorporate into the story? What's the time frame? Uh, you know, how long have we got? Usually it's like, you've got eight weeks, you know, go. Um, it's rare that we get six months or something. What's the budget for it? And the final category, audience. Who are the audiences? Now, 
uh, at Hoodlum, we don't ever think of it as just one audience. It's always a number of audiences that you're thinking about. And we break it up into casual, uh, so people that are just going to come across your experience once and maybe look at a video and then go away and probably never come back. Uh, and then engaged people. Those are people that are going to stick around. They're going to maybe come once or twice and they're going to play some games and they're going to share it and they're going to talk about it. And then you've got committed audiences who are going to uh, dive very deep into absolutely everything around this property and they're going to hunt it down. And, uh, and in some instances, they will hack your website looking for more stuff. We had that on Lost where you know, some of the Lost fans were looking for more clues than we'd been giving them and they started hacking our website. It's like, you guys, <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, those are good fans to have, by the way. Once again, they're a small group. But they, they are, they're great fans to have. Did you hide any clues in the code? Uh, we did actually start hiding things in there. But then ABC said, can you guys you know, like just shut it down? I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, so what, what else has, um, what, where am I? Uh, what platforms do those uh, audiences use? Where are they online? Uh, what do they do online? Are they watching videos? Are they sharing? Are they uh, on Pinterest? Are they sharing photographs? Or what, what are they doing? And some of the, this information we, we sometimes can get from the client. Uh, other times we just have to do our own research. Uh, and once again, everyone at Hoodlum is always researching and just kind of keeping an eye out for, you know, where, where are the trends? What, what do people seem to be doing? Because there's tons of articles and tons of reports that come out every week. And it's always changing. It's just never still. Um, so we get together and say, you know, what, what do people think? Where do, where do we think the audience is? Uh, what is that audience talking about? Uh, what do they care about? It's really important to uh, figure out, you know, uh, uh, why, do, why are they into this movie? Uh, what, why are they coming? Uh, why would they come if it's a new property? Why, why on earth would people care about this? and to try and pin down those, uh, those qualities and emphasise them in your experience. And who are their influences? Who, who does the audience listen to? And do, does that, do those influences, can we, can we tap into them? Uh, do they have an affiliation with this property that, which is really nice and organic and really authentic? Would they want to participate in our campaign and help promote it? So, so those are the five things that we think about, some of the questions we ask ourselves. Now, depending on, on what we're talking about, uh, it will influence whether we're in open thinking or closed thinking. And you've probably worked it out already, but basically if you're kind of talking about story, content and platforms, it's kind of open. You know, you, it's, it's all sorts of things can happen. You can explore. Once you start to talk about what the client wants and what the audience is, things start to narrow down. It becomes easier to make decisions. All of these awesome ideas that you've got up here, most of them which you can't afford, <laughs> as soon as you start talking about what the client wants, what the audience is, what the budget is, and what the time frame is, you can start going click, 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 get rid of that one and that one and that one, and you can start to focus your ideas down. But it's important, and we try and avoid getting too bogged down in client and audience too early in the process at Hoodlum. We, we try and keep it open as long as we can. And you know, sometimes 
as long as we can means a couple of hours. Other times it means a couple of days, depending on what the time frame is that we have to develop this thing. But um, it's good to be aware of what you're talking about and what it's doing to your creative process, I guess. If you're constantly talking about you know, the audience, you may be shutting down a bunch of good ideas which will allow you to stumble across the right idea. You, know, you can have idea one and idea two, neither of them are right. But if they get, get you to idea three, which is the right one, that's worth doing, yeah? So the reality of the experience is, you know, we don't start at story and work our way down. You know, we start open and then we work down to close. The reality is we jump around from different ones. There's no sort of set process. But what we all try and make ourselves aware of is whether or not we're shutting down ideas or whether we're being too open. You know, sometimes you can be too open. It's like, far out, we've got way too many ideas. Can we make some decisions, please? You know? But it, it just helps us be aware of it. So um, I'll move on to a couple of campaigns now. And hopefully, I'll, I'll, I'll play a video for each one. And, uh, and then I'll just compare and contrast them. And hopefully, that'll start bring, bringing some of these ideas together about the process of developing them, uh, but also how the technology... <laughs> Is that me? It's those damn Lost fans, they're back. No, it's not ringing. Anyway. Uh, it'll... Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about... We'll contrast the two projects and give a sense of how the uh, you know the audience or the platforms that were available to us uh, or the the story that was available might have influenced what the project actually was in the end. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first one I'll show is uh, Salt, uh, the campaign for Salt. Um, did anyone has anyone seen Salt? Yeah, it was it was quite a successful film worldwide. Um, we started working on it in late 2009, and it kind of went through to about mid-2010. Uh, it was uh, done. <laughs> and that's usually how it happens for us at Hoodlum. Uh, we come on quite late, and we're slowly we're chipping away at this. Um, we, but usually, yeah, they, they deliver, there's a delivered film, and the marketing department approaches, uh, approaches us and says, you know, what can we do? Make something cool. Um, and, but bit by bit, actually, and on, on the Bourne legacy, and I'll talk about this later, the filmmakers actually were interested in participating in what we were doing. It was a time factor. They'd kind of left it till about you know, six months before the film was coming out. And there was just no way they could participate because they were still editing the film at that time. And, um, but there was genuine interest. And, uh, uh, for example, um, Prometheus, which we've talked a little bit about, Ridley Scott and Damon Lindelof, one of the writers, were very actively involved in a lot of the viral campaign for Prometheus. And so it's, a, it's an indicator that filmmakers are starting to take this stuff seriously, that you know, there's good story material for them to generate. And they can also see the upside in terms of marketing their film. Uh, but on this one and Bourne, no, they, we just got given the film, pretty much. So I'll play you a video, which will give you an idea of it. I apologise for the, uh, 
the breathless commentary on these two videos. They were they were uh, put together for award ceremonies and um, and award assessments and stuff. So it's quite breathless. You know? <laughs> You think everyone's who they say they are. I'm innocent! Somebody is setting me up! Agent Evelyn Salt is on the run, and only you can help her. In 2010, Sony Pictures Entertainment, in partnership with Hoodlum, created an innovative multi-platform experience in the lead-up to the release of the Angelina Jolie blockbuster, Salt. DX is going to be big and it's going to be brutal. Salt, Day X Exists, was a nine-week prequel that enlisted audiences to become a junior agent and stop Day X by completing mission games. Keep this phone on you and I'll make contact. Salt secretly recruited fans to collect intelligence and help clear her name, but can Salt be trusted? On arriving at Day X Exists, fans could log in via Facebook and star in a personalized trailer alongside their Facebook friends, who also feature throughout the experience in the mission reports. Each week, SALT contacted you with a new mission, bugging suspects, tracking enemy operatives, decrypting messages, attacking an enemy base. Fans had to use their skills and wits to stay ahead of Day X and in contact with the elusive Salt. Have you been in contact with Evelyn Salt since she's been on the run? The player's choices had real impact on the course of the narrative. I've heard enough. In future, report to your supervising officer before. Agent Larson provided players with weekly briefings that kept them up to date with the latest. You did well with this one. By completing each mission, players gained access to intelligence reports that revealed more about the shadowy world of Day X spies. Players could also decode secret messages hidden throughout the mission reports. Progress and scores were tracked on a global leaderboard, which players could post to their favorite social network. High-end video sequences immersed fans in a rich cinematic experience that blended seamlessly with the interactive gameplay. As Day X and the release of Salt drew closer, fans discovered in a deadly final shootout that Evelyn Salt had betrayed them. Or so it appeared. Who is Salt? Salt, Day X Exists, successfully combined the very best of the web and film, resulting in an intriguing, sophisticated, and accessible online adventure. Released internationally in 19 countries, Salt, Day X Exists, set new standards in interactive storytelling. This is your chance to show me what you got. Yeah. Okay, get some lights. So I'll just break that down into uh, those categories I was talking about before. So the story that uh, we thought we'd, uh, we could expand in this was uh, an idea around Day X in the Salt movie, which was this uh, legendary day uh, where um, America would be attacked and it was sort of this... Uh, this, this uh, folklore throughout the CIA in the film. And uh, Evelyn Salt was somehow connected with Day X, but no one knew what Day X was going to be, what was going to happen. And so we dove into that uh, mythology quite heavily. Uh, we were trying to reinforce the themes of it. You know, who can you trust? Uh, we enlisted, uh, the idea was to enlist the audience as junior agents in the uh, experience. And we wanted to keep it integrated with the film so that, you know, you felt like the story that was being told online was somehow 
linking you into the film. So it felt like a continuous experience. The content that uh, we went with, uh, we went with interactive video because once again we, we understood that uh, people do like to watch. Uh, we didn't want to throw them too far in the deep end with games straight away so we, there was quite a lot of video throughout it and the interactivity was very, very simple, just very simple choices. You didn't, it wasn't essentially a game. But there were, there were a suite of games, once you'd gone through the interactive videos, there were a suite of games, or it's uh, ten games that sent you on missions. And at the end of each mission, you would get more information about Day X. Uh, and uh, all the content was personalised as well through <coughs> Facebook Connect. So as you're looking through mission reports, you could see your friends peppered throughout uh, the uh, reports, as well as uh, your information about yourself as a junior agent peppered throughout there as well. And the, what we were trying to create was this sense of, you know, who can you trust? Your friends were popping up in these mission reports about these uh, sleeper agents around America. And you're starting, it's starting to create this atmosphere of, you know, oh, my God, one of my friends is a, actually a Russian sleeper spy. So it's all feeding into the themes of the, uh, of the movie. Uh, we chose two major platforms to run this out on, a central destination site, so, you know, who is salt.com basically. Uh, so it was nice and easy for people to find. And we were feeding people there via Facebook. So the uh, personalisation was done through Facebook and we also had a campaign running on Facebook that led people to the destination site. One of the reasons why we had a destination site as well was that a lot of, a lot of the Flash games that we were had designed you can't run them on uh, Facebook. You can, you can do games on Facebook, but the sorts of experiences that we make where they're immersive environments and those sorts of things run very, 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 very slowly, which makes it a major barrier to entry. So we went with the destination site. Um, for the client, they wanted to build a new franchise, obviously. Uh, these were the sorts of things they were coming up with. They wanted to build intrigue, you know, who is salt? was their tagline that they put on all of their billboards. They really wanted to leverage Angelina Jolie uh, and make it feel like, you know, the fans... They really wanted to put her right at the front of this story. We, we pitched a range of stories to them. Some of them had <laughs> secondary characters as, um, uh, as, as the character that you're following or that you're playing with throughout this experience. And they were like, no, no, Angelina's is the one. Like, and they are right, totally right. Like, you put Angelina on anything and people are going to pay attention. Uh, uh, but they're also, let's keep it simple. Let's not go too far into the mythology. Um, let's, let's just keep the story very, very simple. Uh, the audience, uh, and this partly came from the client as well as our digging around, even split of male, female, uh, mainstream. The, uh, marketing departments, um, we find they often say, it's, this is a four-quadrant audience, which means, you know, people above and below 35 years of age and male and female. Basically everyone. This is a film for everyone, which makes it really hard. But, you know, that's, that's the brief that they've got as well. So, uh, Fans of Angelina Jolie tapping into that community, trying to uh, draw them in. Uh, in terms of the things that the audience were uh, uh, interested in and cared about, the feeling that we got and marketing agreed with us on this is they wanted to feel like they were in contact with Salt, Evelyn Salt and Angelina Jolie. You know, they wanted to feel that connection. And so uh, throughout our story, you know, it was Salt who was contacting you. And so trying to emphasise that. And they wanted the thrills and glamour. 
of the whole thing. So those were the those are the five sort of categories that we shaped that campaign around, um, and it did well. It was fun. Um, I'll move on to Operation Intel now. So a similar property. Once again, it's uh, you know this is the the new episode in the Jason Bourne series, uh, but a, a radical new direction for it uh, with a, a new main character, uh, Aaron Cross, played by Jeremy Renner. But uh, in a similar world to Salt, and so you know you'd kind of think, well, you know, the execution of this could be very very similar, uh, because you know this is a world about spies and uh, espionage and. Uh, covert operations and people not being who they say they are. So very similar themes. Uh, we did this one this year uh, in 2012. So there's, you know, two to two and a half year gap between the execution of SALT and this one. So I'll just play you uh, the promo for that to give you an idea of the shape of the campaign. Welcome to the program. Operation Intel was an innovative, multi-platform content experience for the launch of the latest instalment in the Jason Bourne series, The Bourne Legacy. It employed real-world treasure hunts, personalised trailers, a mobile game, and an interactive social campaign that invited fans to step inside the world of the iconic franchise and ultimately drive a strong box office opening. Fans were cast as special agents in the interactive experience, allowing them to unlock exclusive content that provided crucial insights into the new direction of the franchise. The campaign kicked off with a personalised Born Legacy trailer. Fans appeared in the trailer using Facebook Connect and were inducted into the mysterious program at the heart of the Bourne series. Now, as subscribers to the official Bourne Facebook page, fans were able to retrace the story of the first three Bourne films using Facebook's timeline feature. Dating all the way back to 2002, the posts allowed fans to slowly uncover how the existing movies would intersect with the Bourne legacy, generating frenzied speculation and discussion. This led fans around the world to download the Bourne legacy mobile game in search of classified files and exclusive content. Using GPS and mobile mapping technology, fans turned their neighbourhood into one of ten missions, unlocking exclusive audio sneak peeks that featured characters, both new and old, from the Bourne series. Jason Bourne got away, didn't he? That's what this is all about, isn't it? These mobile missions soon led fans to a series of six real-world missions across the US in search of stolen classified files that reached deep into the mythology of Jason Bourne and the program. Thousands of fans decrypted mysterious codes hidden in exclusive Bourne Legacy artwork posted on the Facebook timeline and raced to be the first to intercept the stolen files as well as win exclusive Bourne merchandise. Congratulations, Agent. You have completed your mission. All right. Thank you. Jesus, you guys made me run. <laughs> 
fans who couldn't get to the real world locations could watch all the action in special mission videos that were posted on Facebook, Tumblr and Twitter. Stand by for the next mission clip. I'm uploading it right now. The real world missions took place in San Diego, Phoenix, Chicago, Atlanta, New York and culminated in Los Angeles the day before the premiere. The Bourne Legacy opened at number one at the US box office, grossing over $38 million in its first weekend. Its success was due in no small part to the effectiveness of the Operation Intel online campaign, which attracted over 1.7 million likes and over a million stories on Facebook. The innovative multi-platform campaign was designed and implemented by Hoodlum and Universal. Okay. So I'll break this one down again, uh, like the other one, uh, into those categories that we think about. So with this story, uh, the... Uh, the Bourne series was heading in a, a new direction. So uh, we had the advantage of, you know, three other Bourne films which had a very deep mythology. We wanted to reinforce that, uh, that mythology. We also wanted to introduce the, the new direction and introduce the new character, Aaron Cross, who was going to be at the centre of uh, the experience. And there was also a new program uh, called Outcome, which uh, had a lot of mystery around it um, throughout... Um, throughout the, the new film, but there was the opportunity to seed that mystery before the film came out as well. So this was a new program and indicated where this franchise was going. Uh, and our thinking was, you know, once again, we'll uh, induct the audience as special agents so that they can be inside the story world. Uh, the content, uh, there's quite a lot of content around this. So there was a personalised trailer, so you could uh, see yourself injected into the... Uh, the uh, newborn legacy trailer, and you could share that with your friends. There are also timeline flashbacks, which uh, allowed fans to uh, revise the old films. So, you know, in your Facebook timeline, you can put things in particular dates. Well, we trawled through the uh, all the uh, previous films and worked out the dates that things actually happened because all of the films actually link up chronologically. And uh, so, starting back in 2002, we started dropping the uh, uh, artwork and screenshots from each uh, movie into particular dates on the timeline. So fans would see that pop up in their feed and it, it was amazing. Every time there was a picture of Matt Damon, they would go nuts. It's like, Matt Damon, I love Matt Damon. Why isn't Matt Damon in the new film? It's like, actually, half of, the, half of our activity on this campaign was just managing that question. Why isn't Matt Damon in the new... <laughs> it's like, oh, man, we've answered this a million times. But it, it, was, it was great. Their enthusiasm was absolutely infectious and, and they were a very active audience. Uh, Facebook puzzles, uh, as you saw, we, we would put up uh, custom artwork that actually had puzzles and clue words hidden within it. And so the community would work together to uh, unlock that and they would put their answers in the comments field. So a very simple execution, but great community activity, uh, great collaborative activity. <laughs> and uh, what was revealed in those clue words were the locations of real-world treasure hunts. So uh, the community kind of initiated the treasure hunt by unlocking the codes, 
and then people who were in that particular location could go there and uh, and win a win a laptop and you know some files and some born merchandise. And uh, then we would actually video that whole experience and then put it back on up on Facebook. So everyone who couldn't be at the real world treasure hunt, because the reality is almost no one can go on those things. Uh, we, we usually had about 30 or 40 people turn up to each one. Uh, but you know there are <coughs> millions of fans on Facebook who didn't get to go on that. So to reward them, we would put up a video of the, uh, of the treasure hunt, showing them how it went and who participated and who won, and so that they at least felt involved because they initiated it by solving the clue words. Um, we also had a locative game that you saw where uh, if you couldn't participate in any of the treasure hunts, you could actually get this locative game and turn your neighbourhood into a, uh, a born chase scene where there were virtual agents chasing you down. And, uh, and like, to get through the ten levels, like, uh, each level that you got through, the reward, and we, need, we knew we had to give them a decent reward in terms of content, uh, was that you would get to hear a 30-second extract from the new film. It would just be audio, as if it was a bugged recording uh, of the characters talking about what's happening, and it would reveal more of the mythology and more of uh, the intrigue about where is the new, where are they going with this? Uh, and so, yeah, we had people all around the world uh, competing to uh, unlock these, uh, these clues. Uh, an Australian guy was on top of the leaderboard for a while there, but he got bumped off at the last minute. Uh, and to actually get through all 10 levels, you had to be able to run really seriously fast. Like, I, I tried it and I couldn't actually get through level 10. It was, you had to run really fast to win. But people did it, like, and they got insane scores. I just, I don't know how they did it. Uh, we also had a mobile app which had a lot of uh, publicity content on it as well. We were also planning a series of interactive webisodes, which Brian might be able to talk a little bit about. He was helping us put that together uh, with Intel. Uh, and they didn't actually happen. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why. Um, but I think time frame was a, a major factor. Uh, putting these sorts of things together, you need a, a serious time frame to do it. And, and the, the filmmakers were interested in being involved in helping make those interactive webisodes. Exactly. But but then John Carter failed at the box office and mm. uh, Battleship failed at the box office. So they pulled the filmmakers off and threw them back into the editing room. Yeah, they said, make a better film. Yeah. So, you know, we almost had the filmmakers involved in this, but we lost them at the last minute. Uh, platforms. Uh, Facebook was a major platform, probably the principal platform that this all happened through. Mobile, real-world treasure hunts. We also had uh, the treasure hunts rolling out on Tumblr uh, so that all the artwork could be displayed really in a lovely big format. Uh, Twitter kept people informed about what was happening and uh, a lot of people subscribed to SMS as well. Um, what the client wanted, they wanted uh, us to introduce who Aaron Cross was. They wanted to extend the story. Um, they wanted to explore this idea of never just one, uh, which was the tagline uh, for, the, for the series. So it's, there was never just one program, there was never just one agent. And so the sense that you know, there's lots of them out there is something they wanted to explore. They wanted to explore what is outcome. Um, they wanted to involve the fans. They really, really wanted to get the fans talking because they, they knew they had already had a, quite a large uh, fan base through the previous Bourne films. 
And once again, uh, even male-female split mainstream. We want everyone to see this film. Extremely pro uh, Matt Damon. Uh, the fan base were quite... They knew the mythology really quite well. They all had favourite scenes. And whenever we put up those timeline flashbacks, uh, people would, you know, just... They'd be right back there in the film. I love it when he did X, Y, Z, you know, and they'd, they'd be talking about the film again. It was terrific to watch. Very social uh, fan base, and they, they'd, the thing that they cared about the most, was, apart from Matt Damon, <laughs> was the thrills. They wanted to feel like a part of this world and, and feel like, you know, you know, Born is out there somewhere. Uh, one, of the, one of the strategies that would have been great to do in this, and it, it kind of didn't happen for a variety of reasons, but... To find out a way that we could uh, introduce uh, the introduce the world of outcome and Aaron Cross in a much more explicit way, the, there was eventually we couldn't actually use the word outcome in in our campaign, and that's why it's actually called Operation Intel. Uh, it was going to be called Operation Outcome at first, and there was there was a problem with. They didn't. The filmmakers, because they weren't able to be involved in the webisodes, I think, and they were thrown back into the edit. I think they probably became nervous because they, they weren't involved. It's like, ah, oh, we don't want you guys revealing too much. Like we had a, a terrific conversation with Dan Gilroy, who was a co-writer of the film, and he just talked for like an hour and a half, uh, explaining the whole mythology of outcome and the the background to the film. And uh, it was a great conversation. He was going to be involved. And then he, he called up like half an hour later and said, guys, I think I told you too much. Like he was actually starting to worry that we were going to reveal too much of the film. And so there, I think there was a lost opportunity to, uh, to allay fans' fears that Matt Damon was being replaced, uh, that you know, the Jason Bourne character was being played by Jeremy Renner, which was not the case. It was a completely different character. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, I think that that was probably missed. But it was still a, a really well-received campaign. Um, OK, so I'll just compare and contrast uh, Salt and, and Bourne. So Salt, once again, it was started in late 2009. Uh, so the experience of Salt, I would say, was quite a linear experience. It had a very clear story. It had a beginning, middle and an end. They went through it. Uh, it was kind of a closed story. By the end of it, there was, an, there was a, a resolution to the story that you'd been playing across those 10 weeks. Uh, two major platforms. Uh, the key platform was a destination site, as I said before, because we could get to do the creative execution, that, the best creative execution that, that we could on that destination site. And the key content was uh, casual games. So that's how people participated, was to play these games. Uh, Born in 2012 uh, was really quite different. Even though very similar story worlds, related story worlds, the execution of this is really very, very different. It was a non-linear experience. So you could come in at any point, really, on any platform, and you would still know what was going on. You didn't need to do all the stuff before that. It was a very open-ended story. There's, there was no... Apart from you know being inducted into uh, Operation Intel, there was no uh, resolution to the story. There was a resolution to the campaign, which all led to the film, but the story was open-ended. You could keep you could actually keep playing the game and the experience beyond the release of the film. 
uh, because, you know, the mobile app still kept working, those sorts of things. There were actually six platforms that were used in that, so a much wider spread. The key platform was Facebook, and the key content was actually social content that we, we put on Facebook that people could share very quickly and very easily. So uh, those web videos that I was describing where, you know, if you can't be in the real world treasure hunt, you could watch the video of it and you could share that video. Uh, and uh, the, the, timeline, the timeline flashbacks, really lovely artwork which reminded you of the old stories uh, from Bourne that you could share really quickly. And they were actually some of the most shared items uh, were the, the timeline flashbacks, people reliving their excitement of the old Bourne films. So very different executions. A couple of, oh, we're wrapping up. Am I 10 minutes over? Man, that flu. Okay. Uh, okay, so the reason for this, basically, so our, our approach is adapted. Uh, the, the reason for this, basically, is these two things. Uh, 2009, uh, Facebook went nuts. Uh, it went from 200 million, well, it hit 200 million and became the biggest platform in the world. Uh, and uh, iOS and Android and smartphones really started taking off. So uh, 2009, Facebook had 200 million. Now it has over one, uh, over one billion. Uh, smartphones are about 250 million in 2009. Now there's over one billion. And so what this does to the campaign, because it's not me, uh, what this does to the way we design campaigns is that it makes it, uh, makes it much more social. Uh, and I think in terms of the storytelling, it makes it less about plot because we're trying to reach out to people on lots of different uh, platforms in a social way. And it's less about kind of saying, okay, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, like is what SALT was essentially. You know, you do this mission, then this mission, and then this mission. Now it's more like there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this other thing. And people can come and go as they like, depending on how they're using the platform. And they can share that content, and it's self-contained. So they don't have to have the bit before it or the bit after it. It works in its own right. So it's much more non-linear. And so that adaptation is, uh, is because of that technological change. So it's kind of, I was wrong, I forget who showed it the other day, but uh, the, the shot of uh, the kinescope with uh, uh, the person watching the film, looking through the kinescope, single person experience. Um, well, that's kind of how we used to do things. And I think where we're heading towards is where it's more of a communal experience, where everyone's sitting in the cinema, watching it at the same time, experiencing it at the same time, able to share it at the same time. Uh, that's kind of the change that I think is, has happened there. Um, so, uh, so big changes influence everything else, basically. Like if a new platform comes on that revolutionises things, which Facebook has, uh, then the way you're going to tell that story is going to change. And uh, you know, new, new and exciting approaches can emerge out of that. Uh, just to wrap up, um, there's no one way to do this, as you all have uh, understood over this week. Um, Stay aware and open to the change. You don't have to you know, stay across absolutely every development, but just be aware of it, because there may be fantastic new opportunities to tell a story and to tell your story in a new way. Um, watch and listen to the audience. And also think about what you do online as well. How do you, you know, I'm, I'm sure we do this, 
think about how you watch movies, how you act online. What would you do? Um, because you're an audience member as well. And uh, all of this hopefully leads to creating more relevant experiences for audiences that connect with them. So that's it. Leading multi-platform storytelling. Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us.